Ahoy! It's your boy, and welcome to episode 17 of the podcast. This is M. Uh, I want to start off this episode by saying thank you. Um, I was at work uh, last night, and um, and apropos of nothing, I never do this. I thought, you know, I'm going to check. <laughs> Maybe I was desperate for affirmation or something, but I was like, I'm going to go ahead and check the reviews for the podcast on iTunes. And um, lo and behold, I'm glad I did because, um, you know, I saw that there had been a couple five-star reviews, but somebody actually took the time to write a review. And not that there's anything um, necessarily special about that. Um, I mean, it looks like there's only one at this point. But the reason I I thought for a few reasons I I like it. One, it's good. So I'm flattered. So thank you. But um, I think it's, it's good in a very specific way, which is it's not just a good review of the podcast. It's a fucking phenomenally accurate view of the podcast. And it made me think, dude, I am reaching exactly the type of people I want to reach. I was like, whoever wrote this is smart. I actually took a screenshot of it and sent it to a few friends and said, um, dude, is this you? Because I'd like to read this on the podcast and I'd be embarrassed if it turned out to be written by my mom. But um, uh, the user's name is Human Robots. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read it to you. Sorry, I should have had it pulled up right now, but it's in my photo somewhere. But hold on a second. Um, now let me know if you guys think this is accurate. I, th- I think you'll agree. I think it's pretty, uh, I think it's pretty spot on. Um, all right, here we go. Oh, great, my stomach's growling. All right, here we go. The title of the, re- uh, the, title of the review is Disgruntled, Angry, But Correct. An interesting podcast. No concrete theme or topic with new material every week. The host complains about and discusses funny topics like movies, music, and running, and more serious topics like parenting, childhood, and current events. Sometimes angry, sometimes sad, but mostly funny. The host is authentic and honest in a way that a lot of other podcasters trying to do, this, trying to do something similar are not. The host takes an hour each week to just sit down and tell you how he's feeling and what he is doing. Not everyone's cup of tea, but will taste just right for many. Isn't that great? And isn't it, you know, it's not like glowing sycophantic. It's not saying it's the best podcast ever. It's saying, look, this isn't for everybody, but for the right people, you know, for a certain slice of certain, certain slice of the demographic of the world population, this might be your thing. So human robots, whoever you are, thanks for taking the time to write that. Um, and like I said, dude, it just shows me that the people who listen to this podcast are smart and they're fair. And um, and uh, I know I'm kind of talking about myself here, but, you know, I feel like, I don't think it's boastful to say that I think I speak from the heart. And it doesn't mean that I'm right all the time. Um, it could be that I'm wrong a fair amount of the time, although I doubt it, but it could be. There's always a small microscopic chance that I'm wrong about something, but but be that as it may, um, I think it's fair to say that I speak from the heart. And, you know, uh, I'm not one of these, like, you know, I'm just telling it like it is types of people. But I do realize that sometimes I tiptoe across topics that are um, not taboo necessarily. That's probably too heavy handed. But you know what I mean. Um, you know, everything we do in this world today is so dissected. You know, I walk around with a general sense of anxiety most of the time. Um, because I don't feel like I fit in in a lot of places. I don't, you know, I have no deference to any political party. I'm not, you know what I'm saying? Um, whatever I sense that a large number of my peers are sort of swept up in, which is, you know, wanting to 
toe the party line, so to speak, about social issues or whatever. It just everyone seems certain about stuff these days that I, um, I don't feel very certain about or feel very confident in, in my position in whether it's politics or social issues or cultural uh, politics or whatever the hell you want to call it. identity politics, maybe. Um, so anyway, um, um, yeah, I'm just sort of talking about my thoughts. And look, I know that's not for everybody. Like I had a friend, uh, I, I will actually, um, I consider them a friend now, sure. Uh, somebody I work with recommended a podcast to me that I was like, oh, this is not for me at all. But they were like, it's called Parenting and Politics. And I just remember reading one of the, you know, one of the episode descriptions used the phrase decolonize parenting. And I went, not for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, most of the people I interact with, at least uh, in my life, would run to something like that. But anyway, what, what, am, what, what am I talking about? I'm saying, um, yeah, I think I'm just trying to say this isn't for everybody. Um, there's probably a fair amount of things that I say and explore that would um, annoy people at the very least and probably bother them. And, um, you know, it's not something I'm particularly proud of, but, uh, you know, it is, you know, it does, I don't know if sting is the right word, but it does prick at my um, something uh, when I read where it's like, oh, disgruntled and complains. But, dude, that's absolutely true. And, um, you know, I wish it wasn't the case all the time. I wish I was a little more less cantankerous than I find myself being on this podcast. But, hey, it is what it is. It's a stream of consciousness podcast. I talk about what we talk about, and I feel how I feel. So, um, so uh, this is my safe space, goddammit. And uh, uh, so, yeah, anyway, great review. Thanks for being fair-minded. And uh, that's all I want, folks. You know, I don't want, you know, when I ask you guys to rate and review the podcast, you know, I don't want you to type what you think I want to read. I want, you, I, want, I want to know how you really feel. And uh, I'd be more excited to read a bad review that I thought was heartfelt and fair-minded than, uh, you know, than just a sort of paint-by-numbers good review. You know, I don't want to be condemned by faint praise, you know what I'm saying? I'd rather have, uh, you know, I want... Because uh, in a way, I feel like, you know, I say what I say, and you either like the podcast or you don't. And I think, I think um, a discerning person who's just sort of perusing iTunes and read a review like that would think, oh, that's fair. You know, like, for for example, I was thinking about books recently. I've, been, I've, I've said I've been on this whole Dostoevsky kick, and um, and kind of in a roundabout way, my brother and I were talking about books, and he mentioned the website Goodreads, which I used to be kind of active on years ago. Um, and I used to just sort of document all the books I was reading and write reviews, and, and, um, and I always thought I was, you know, I don't know, Jesus Christ, what is that, like, blowing smoke up my own ass today? But I always thought I was a pretty fair-minded reviewer. Um, <clears throat> I just, I gave that shit up like, um, eight years ago or something like that. But the point is, you know, you would go on Goodreads. Oh, sorry. My brother mentioned Goodreads, so I just happened to be on it. And for some reason I was looking at The Pale King by David Foster Wallace, um, who's one of my favorite authors, but I haven't, you know, I, I never read his unfinished novel, uh, The Pale King, but I was reading reviews and most of it's garbage. You know, you read the first paragraph of everyone's review and you go, I don't even trust this person's judgment, you know? <clears throat> they say, it's like when you go on Rotten Tomatoes and you read these little blurbs from people's reviews and everyone's trying to be so goddamn clever in their writing. Um, you know, it's a movie called like uh, Bon Appetit or something. And they're like, um, they always make some stupid pun on the title or the theme of the music. It's like uh, Bon Appetit serves up a cold dish or some shit like that. And you're like, oh, okay. Oh, such bad writing. Don't trust your judgment. Um, but uh, anyway, I think I'm just trying to say that I think anyone stumbling on that review would think, oh, that's fair-minded, and maybe give the podcast a throw. So thank you. I, I'm sure it didn't cost you a lot of time 
um, or energy or whatever you want to say, but the, but uh, I really appreciate it. And I, you know, it kind of it, it kind of made me harken back to a time when I was wow, what kind of a Freudian slip. I was about to say when I was making music, as if I'm not making music anymore, but um. But it reminds me, uh, not just when I was making music, but when I was writing and recording music as the plastic arts. And I was, you know, writing and recording these solo acoustic songs with just my voice and guitar and recording them in my laptop and uploading them to the internet. And, um, and um, you know, I had, I mean, I just kept doing that. You know, I think part of it was my capacity. You know, I wasn't working with Gowan Matthews at the time. I wasn't working with my producer. And, you know, now we release these fully arranged songs or whatever actually sorry i hate doing this uh i hate going back and stopping myself but the point but i i do want to you know i want to get the plugs out just as a matter of discipline so um what i was thinking was i actually released a song recently called help me from there to here which was actually the last song excuse me i'm like burping up a storm today i released a song recently called um help me from there to here which was um which was the last song on my first album as the plastic arts and, uh, brought it into the studio with Gowan Matthews. We released it. It's a super short song. It's about two and a half minutes and, um, it's super cool. It's got like a very awesome string arrangement on there that Gowan came up with. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, I'm just, I'm really happy with it. It's, it's, it's a, a tiny song. It's a little, it's a, whisp, it's a little wisp of a song, but it's always been a small, good thing to me. And, um, and uh, I was really excited to bring it back in the studio. But anyway, we put that out, and without any promo whatsoever, it's starting to get picked up on Spotify playlists and stuff. So I'm not saying it's taking the internet by storm, but I think in just a week it has almost as many plays as any other song I've released this year. So, um, you know, it'll probably have some tens of thousands of streams for in short order. So that's a good thing, and I'd like you to check it out, because I think the more people listen to it, the better it does. So if you want to find uh, my most recent song, Help Me From There To Here, you can on Spotify. Um, otherwise, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, um, and rate and review the podcast. Um, you know, uh, you know, if I, if I keep stumbling on reviews that are, you know, I think are super salient or fair-minded or whatever, I'm happy to read them on the podcast. Um, don't go typing what you think I want to hear to, um, um, you know, to get read or whatever, but, you know, um, and, and honestly, it's probably going to have to be on iTunes. If you think I'm going to jump around between Stitcher and Google Play, um, that's, you're out of your mind. So it's probably going to have to be on iTunes, honestly, but, um, <clears throat> but yeah, if you have a moment, rate and review the podcast and um, you can connect with my socials at this is M X O X O and try finding the podcast blog on my website at this is M pod.com or this is M podcast.com. But uh, this is M pod.com. Uh, we'll take you to the, um, um, the podcast blog on my website. Uh, anyway. All right. Um, uh, thanks for letting me take that aside. Um, what I was saying is reading a review like that reminds me of when I was releasing music as the plastic arts. I was writing and recording these solo acoustic songs in my apartment, uploading them to the internet, you know, and I certainly hoped that they would find people, but you know, it wasn't, it it seemed to me like nobody was listening to my music, right? Like I I would play some local shows. I would sell some CDs, uh, you know, um, I was starting to connect with people locally, but I had no sense that people were finding my music. You know, my songs were on Spotify at the time, but I just never looked at them, you know, and, um, 
And uh, it wasn't like I was being inundated with messages of people who were finding my music. But every once in a while, someone would leave a comment on my YouTube channel or somebody would send me a Facebook message or somebody would send me an email and say, you know, something really touching. And it was more than just like a quick, I like your music. I mean, I really felt like the people who were taking the time to message me were really enjoying my music. And, you know, in a way, I think it's because I was kind of in a place that I've actually kind of been struggling to get back to, honestly. Um, Which is, I think when you're just, you know, once you have an audience of some sort, and I'm not saying a, a big audience, but once you... Once you know that there's at least a handful of people who are anticipating the next music that you release, there's they're just sort of in the room with you when you write from that point on. Does that make sense? And so, I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say those first three records I was making for myself. You know, I had no sense of an audience. I had I was writing from like the, from the depths. You know what I'm saying? I was really trying to express myself. And in a lot of ways, for the first time, I was saying and exploring feelings I just hadn't really explored. You know, I was, I was young. I was younger, you know? And so things were new and fresh, and um, I was finding myself in a lot of ways. Um, or, or starting to, you know, starting to begin that search, I guess. And, I, and uh, I, I've certainly changed since then, um, for the better, hopefully, in some ways. Um, but I think there was something about you know, regardless of the production value. I mean, I recorded those songs in my bedroom. And dude, in the same room I'm sitting in right now, coincidentally. And, um, and, uh, but there was, I think there's something about, you know, the spirit, the rawness of that, that I think touched um, a certain group of people. And I hoped, you know, I thought things like this at the time, and I certainly hoped it was true, even though I didn't have a lot of evidence for it yet. But I really hoped that what I was doing you know, again, what I was doing was not going to be for everybody, right? But I, I just knew that there was a, there was a certain population of people that if they, if they found my music, if the planets aligned and they happened to find my music in the, you know, in the breadth of the internet or whatever, that I would be exactly what they were looking for. And um, thankfully, they were few and far between, but I got enough of those types of messages to keep going, you know, and it wasn't just from the United, it was, kind of, frankly, it was kind of all over the world. And, um, you know, I, I mean, the first thing that jumps to mind is I remember hearing from a guy who was stationed in Iraq and he, and he told me, he's like, you know, your record Academy clones was something that me and my whole, you know, either his unit or his circle of friends, um, his closest circle of friends overseas were listening to Academy clones. And he's like, and we would just fucking lay out on the beach and listen to your music. And I was like, man, that's really touching, you know? Because here I am sitting, even now, in the same spot that I recorded that music in. And, you know, it, it's just sort of surreal. I mean, I, I, it should be, um, it should be more in, I don't mean to sound so incredulous, like it, it should be obvious, but it's just not. The, the fact that, you know, you think you write and record these things and release them for people to hear them, and you want them to hear it and like it. But... I mean, I got to be honest and say that, you know, in the living experience of it, when you're recording it, when you're writing it, like you really don't even think about that. And it's sort of insane to me to even think that the words that I'm saying right now in this very moment are being, you know, recorded to, uh, you know, digital ones and zeros and will, are even now entering into your head and being processed and analyzed and judged, frankly, 
um, and evaluated, <clears throat> that's uh, it's it's sort of surreal. And to and you know, you know, even thinking about you know some guy who's stationed over in Iraq listening to my music or um, or whatever it is, you know, you just can't imagine. You know, where do people? You know, how do you exist in other people's lives? You know, uh, you know, are people? Uh, are they going? Are, are they at work? You know, uh, are they uh, driving to school? Are they studying? Are they having sex? Are they doing drugs? Are they fucking committing crimes? Like, what are you know? What are people doing as they're listening to your music? Um, I think like Celine Dion one time said something like that. She was like, "I'm not going to do her accent, but she, you know, she said that the thing that she hears probably more frequently than she could ever have anticipated is people saying that they make love to her music." And I was like, "Well, that makes sense." Fucking my heart will go on, right? <clears throat> my heart on will go on. <laughs> so, so immature. <laughs> All right, but um, but uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, I just um, I think it's just you know starting out on this new venture of the podcast, and I mean I mean it when I say you know there was I, I there was something about the purity of that time uh, when I was writing and performing as the Plastic Arts that. Um, you know, as proud as I am of the music that I've done, you know, and I've always, I've always just done what I, where I'm at, you know, I, I'm, you know, sometimes I regret thinking, or I worry that I think too much about what it's going to take to make it or what's going to quote work. You know, I wish I was just like this creative sage and just sort of, um, you know, relentlessly walked off, um, and, and pursued my own creative vision or whatever it is. But, um, but, uh, you know, creative confidence is something I've, I've always struggled with. And it's not just, I mean, it's confidence in general. Um, you know, and not that I don't consider myself a, a confident person. But if I am, it's because I've, I've really worked on it. And, um, and uh, Jesus Christ, where am I going with all this? Um, anyway, I, I think I'm just trying to equate the podcast now to, you know, maybe starting something new. And, um, you know, there's not a lot of us who listen you know, I think we have a few hundred streams across all the episodes every week. Um, but that's, I mean, honestly, considering this thing didn't exist a couple months ago, um, it's been really fulfilling to get the messages that I do get, which is people saying, uh, you know, they like tuning into the podcast. It's like chilling with me once a week. And that's, you know, my favorite. Those, that, that's, th- those are the types of podcasts that I like to listen to. And so, um, and that's what I set out to do. So um, if that's what you're getting out of this, perfect. And um, if you want to take the time to, <clears throat> excuse me, articulate that in an iTunes review, that would honestly be really helpful. And um, But more importantly, I always say, you know, think of one person in your life who you think would like this podcast and share it with them. Um, you know, there's a decent chance that if you like it, you have one or two people in your life who might also. Um, but I don't need everyone, you know. If you just want to keep me all to yourself, you're more than welcome to do that also. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm looking over here to the right. I literally just got this Amazon package. Um, I, um, I, I don't, you know, I got, I feel silly if I mention this. Um, I certainly talked about it in therapy. I had this therapy session. Um, it was my first therapy session since going on vacation and hadn't, hadn't seen my therapist in a couple weeks and I felt you know, it's, it, it literally felt like a podcast episode. I, I just sort of sat down and started talking about my trip a little bit. Um, but then I started talking about Dostoevsky and movies and how I watched Magnolia recently. And I started talking about 
you know, I was just talking about some big existential issues, but I felt like it was just a freaking podcast episode. And I told this story. Um, I told this story. Uh, it was probably surprisingly it was it was probably my favorite part of the vacation. And if I told this story already, I'm sorry, but um, um, I can't remember what I talked about in the last episode or the end of uh, part four of the episode of that marathon episode we had. But my favorite moment on my vacation with my girlfriend was completely completely unexpected. Um, we, um, were in Portland for her, um, her mother's side of the family gets together for this, um, you know, Christmas celebration every year. And there's like 30 people and it's, there's a big white elephant gift trade and all that sort of stuff. And, um, her family is, uh, from Vietnam and, um, you know, the family is very connected and, um, you know, they care about visiting even sort of, you know, know, comparatively remote members of the family than we probably have here in America. So her mother was talking about, oh, we have to stop by and see your grandfather's brother before we go to this party. Excuse me. And uh, she was talking about how he's very old and he and his wife live um, um, kind of in the back of a shop that they used to run, a copy shop that they, not coffee, like cafe, but um, copy, C-O-P-Y, like photocopy shop that they used to run in Portland and they live in the back of that, <clears throat> excuse me. And he's like 90 years old and his wife, um, pretty much kind of takes care of him a lot, but, um, they were going to stop by and say hello before this party. And so we show up and it's this very sort of kind of, it looks like, it almost looks like an abandoned, uh, business. Um, and it's called the David Douglas, um, district of Portland. And it's a sort of a rundown copy shop. And, uh, you sort of walk through the front of it and it's, you know, it's sort of empty glass cases and there's bicycles and it's, it's, you know, it's a former business that's kind of an abandoned and uses storage for their house, you know, and you walk through this business part and you go in the back and you enter this very dark living space that with like wood panel walls and, and it's like nothing's been changed since the seventies, you know? And the only light in there is this sort of natural light that's kind of coming in through the window. It's like very cinematic, you know? And uh, there's just this old gentleman sitting in the corner and uh, he's sort of like bathed in light and his wife sort of sees us get there and she sort of stands up and greets us. And she and um, my girlfriend's mother and the rest of the family are just sort of speaking in Vietnamese. Um, um, Her mother speaks English perfectly, but um, this older generation of the family doesn't speak English very well. So they're speaking in Vietnamese the entire time. And um, we're also there with my girlfriend's sister, her husband and their baby. And part of the point of visiting this um, elder of the family is to introduce the elder to this, now the youngest member of the family. And uh, so I sort of settle on this sort of old sofa up against the wall, and I'm just sort of uh, quietly observing these interactions. They're speaking in Vietnamese. They're talking about the baby. Um, And I look down at the coffee table, and I see this book that's open. It's this big sort of almost photo album type book, this green leather bound, you know, tome really. And, um, it's open to a certain page and I see, um, I'm not going to say my girlfriend's last name, but it's the last name of her family that's sort of written there. And I see there's all these sort of, you know, it's almost, you know, it's really like a yearbook is really what it looks like. That's a better description of it. And they're sort of sectioned off where all these family heading names and these sort of long paragraphs, some of them like an entire page of what looked like the family history. And so I see this old black and white photo of this, uh, you know, this eldest member of her family with uh, his wife, their, their four sons. And 
um, you know, as I'm sort of looking around the place, I see a, a similar photo from many years later, a more recent photo of the family. But I take the time to read this biography, and it's all about how, you know, my girlfriend's grandfather's brother, you know, had fled communism in Vietnam twice, eventually he was sponsored by a local church and came to the United States, and how he taught himself how to mend printing presses and, you know, um, saw a need for a photocopy business in the area and uh, uh, went to school and, uh, you know, trained the rest of the members of the family on how to do this, uh, you know, this, um, this trade of photocopying and et cetera, et cetera. And it was just fascinating to be sitting there <clears throat> in the presence of this elder um, who just sort of lit, you know, the way they described him was that, you know, he's, he's old. He's like 92 years old or something like that. So he wasn't very agile, but here he is interacting with the youngest member of the, of the family now. And it was like two, you know, I don't know, man. I don't mean to sound cliche. If you're younger, this sounds like a bunch of bullshit to you. But if you're older, I think you know what I'm talking about. But, but it was literally like witnessing, you know, two ends of a ring coming together. And in that whole way where it's like, you know, the return to childhood, you know, when you get older, you need to be taken care of. It's like you were born as a baby, you sort of die as a baby in some ways, if, you, if you're blessed to live that long. But it was like two members of the family, like two ends of a ring sort of coming together. And you could see this elder just sort of light up about this young baby. And they had these little like packages of cookies out on the coffee table. And you can just tell this, um, you know, this older, this older man is just, kind of lighting up about being able to give this young child cookies or whatever. And, um, and it was just kind of a poignant moment to think about life. And, and anyway, even as I'm talking about it, you can imagine what my therapy session is like. I'm, I'm doing exactly what I'm doing now, which is like recounting this kind of maybe had to be there kind of moment. But for me, it was like poignant, you know, and in a way it reminded me of this, you know, when me and my girlfriend took this vacation a year ago to Belize and I was like, Oh, cool you know, we had talked about going to these Mayan ruins, but I had no idea how much I was going to be affected by it, you know? And I was, it was almost like a spiritual experience, you know? Here I was standing in these ancient cities and just imagining, oh, people lived here and hearing about the culture and hearing about the mythology. And it was just, I don't know, it was, uh, it was a poignant and, uh, you know, for me, it was kind of profound, you know, it was something like that sitting in that room. I wasn't anticipating it. I was, frankly, I was kind of like, oh, well, it's going to kind of be a boring stop before the party, but it's something we have to do. It was probably my favorite part of the vacation. And um, it was just so fascinating to be sitting in, you know, to sort of be meeting someone at the end of their life. And I, and honestly, I think it says a lot about ageism or, you know, what we think about people, but he was quiet, you know, not very agile, kind of mute. And, um, you have no idea, without reading this family history, you have no idea what people go through, you know? And there was just something poignant about witnessing, you know, here you have a young child, maybe a year and a half, who has their whole life ahead of them, and they're meeting someone who has their whole life behind them. And um, anyway, so yeah, this was my therapy session. I'm talking about that. I was like linking it to Magnolia and Dostoevsky, Um and I spent like the first 40 minutes of my therapy session just bouncing around and even saying like, I don't know why I'm talking about this, but the thing that we eventually came to, and the reason this came up for me now is because I immediately went home and found the same uh, 
photo album. This It's basically a book by the local historical society about the history of the families in the region. I literally found it on Amazon and bought it. <laughs> so I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'm going to be picking through that. Although I will say, I think one of the things that sealed it for me is, you know, I was flipping through this book and I was just sort of stopping at random um, pictures of the families that were interesting to me. And one of them is a student full clown makeup. And I was like, oh, got to see what this is about. And it's this story about a guy, uh, you know, he sort of grew up in the area and he um, he had this transformative experience when his eighth grade teacher said something like, oh, you're an artist. And so he ended up doing school. He, You know, I think maybe he was like an athlete at the time and he said, well, I'm going to give this art thing a try. And he started doing drama and it just, it was like, it was this sort of awakening in his life, you know, where he got in touch with his creative side or whatever. And then he went on to do a real estate, real estate and he had two offices, but then he describes having this, you know, feeling this calling to become a clown. And so he like left his real estate business and threw himself into clowning. And I forget what like his clown name was, but it's like, I don't know, Mr. Bozo or some shit like that. But it's like, he's talking about how clowning has taken him all over the world and et cetera, et cetera. But there was something both like beautiful and profound about that, but it was also kind of, I don't know. I don't know. Sad sounds too judgmental, but it, but that, that's what fuck it. That's what it was. It was kind of sad because I'm also thinking, you know, this is not the cover of the New York times. You know, this is not a time, uh, man of the year article written about somebody. This is somebody you've never heard of writing their own biography in the historical society album of a, you know, negligible district in the Portland area that nobody's ever heard of. You know what I mean? And I think this is what I'm trying to say. <clears throat> It was, and I think this is why this sort of, even the idea of like existentialism sort of comes into it, but it's like, here's somebody you've never heard of who's writing their own story as if it's super serious and super meaningful. And even though I'm reading it and even relating to moments of it and understanding there's a lot of points of contact between this, you know, not fucking clowning, but there's a lot of points of contact for me between this person's story and my own. You know, my story is super important to me. And even though I'm reading this story and thinking, oh yeah, there's a lot of kind of poignant stuff in here, I'm also thinking, well, who the fuck is this person and who gives a shit? Do you know what I'm saying? And it's sort of depressing because I'm like, you know, this person's story is phenomenally important to them, obviously. Like, everybody lives their life like they're the hero of their own story. Like, everybody's the star of their own film, right? And everything that happens to them is super important to them. Um... Unfortunately, the most people in the world don't give a shit about you. And, uh, and so I, I don't know what it says about me exactly. Um, but there was something both, um, yeah, there was something sad about it to, 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 to both know that I take my story very seriously, but also to, I was sort of embarrassed for somebody who was taking their own story seriously as well, because of my, because of my perspective, I was able to, I was also fully aware of the fact that I didn't give a shit in some ways. You know what I'm saying? Or if I did it, it wasn't a very almost academic way and also a self-serving way. You know, I was really mining their stories for details for myself. It wasn't like I was actually vet, had a vested interest in this person. Dude, am I a sociopath? But, um, but, um, but I think even in that moment, I was also sitting in the back of this 
you know, I'm sitting in the back of, I'm in, I'm in someone's home in the back of an abandoned business that they used to run, that they established after coming to this country, you know, fleeing communism with no prospects, being sponsored by a family at a local church. And here this person established themselves in a, con- in a foreign country, um, you know, sired progeny, and like, then now they're adults, and has lived through tragedy, um, and you know, you know, we're now living with, you know, the third and the fourth generations of these families and everyone's doing well. You know, most of these people have gone to college. They're well-educated. They're, um, you know, are they wealthy? Probably not, but they're, they're doing as well as anyone could, especially considering, you know, you're coming from no prospects. And, you know, for someone who was born in this country, who speaks a language, who, uh, had every advantage you could imagine, I still struggle with wondering if I have what it takes to fucking get through my life. Do you know what I mean? And to establish myself and to, and to do well, especially now, you know? And, um, it was this weird mix of both admiration, but also, you know, I'm, I'm seeing someone at the end of their life and thinking, oh, this person's going to die. Certainly. And, will it have, what will it have meant? You know, not just, well, well, literally, what what will it have meant to the world, this person's life? Their living and dying, their struggles, um, everything they've gone through, you know, you know, I hate to sound like a stoned college student, but like, literally, what is it all for? You know? And, um, and of course, I think, you know, I'm, you know, even though I'm observing this through somebody else, I'm really talking about myself. And I think what I finally fucking came to at the end of all of this, for the last 10 minutes of my therapy session, I'm bouncing around on all this shit. And I'm talking about Macbeth and to be or not to be in, and, and uh, Hamlet uh, and, you know, life is but a walking shadow and, and all that sort of shit. And, um, and um, I think I finally came, you know, for someone like me who's been a creative my whole life, you know, I mean, especially when you're starting out, you know, I'm talking about writing and recording as the plastic arts, you know, no one's listening to your goddamn music. You're writing these songs and you're, I'm writing songs from my fucking futon and recording them into my computer and uploading them to the internet and just, and you still hope that someday you're going to be a fucking rock star. Do you know what I'm saying? And, um, how could it have really gone any other way? But, um, now that I'm seriously considering doing something else with my life and am going back to school and am, um, you know, my major source of income now is not music. It's my job. And, um, you know, having a girlfriend and thinking about starting a family and probably getting married and probably having kids and all that sort of stuff and thinking about how I'm going to support them. On the one hand, it's beautiful. And if you're young, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. But if you're, but if you've gone through this or you're going through this, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, in your heart, you're actually giving up kind of a pipe dream for lack of a better word for something vastly more meaningful in a, in, in the truest sense. Um, maybe I don't need to give this aside, but it's like, you know, I talk about, I'm the type of person, I think we're all this way, but I think especially for me, you know, I, I used to set all these and I still do frankly, but I, I certainly used to set all these benchmarks for myself where I was like, you know, once I have this many Facebook likes or once I have this many Spotify streams or once I play that venue or t- open for that artist or tour with that artist, like that's going to make me happy. And whether or not I do this for the rest of my life, I'll always be able to look back on that accomplishment and say, I did that or that was 
that was success or at least a certain type of success. And every time those things happened, and they all eventually did, it never made me happy. I mean, I was pleased, but usually it was so fleeting, it was like it never even happened. And the actual living experience of what that felt like was actually not nothing at all like I thought it was going to be. It just felt like everything else. You know, it's like when you kick the can down the road and you catch up with it, you just kick it again. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, I describe it like driving in a fog. You, you, it all looks the goddamn same. You know, by the time you've caught up to the, the fringe of what you're able to see, you just see 10 more feet ahead of you. You've already acclimated to the surroundings, you know? I think I did mention this on another podcast, but I talk about like, I went, I went parasailing with my mom one time in Mexico and we're sort of, it's basically where you're, you're tied to the parachute and you're like tied to the back of a boat and they basically like, you know, sort of reel you out as the boat goes by and you're like, I don't know, hundred, hundred feet. I was going to say, I'm dude, I'm terrible at height. I don't fucking know how high we were. Hundreds of feet, a hundred feet. I don't know. But you get this incredible bird's eye view of, you know, the shore and the city. And dude, after five minutes, me and my mom looked at each other and we're like, um, yep, I'm kind of done, aren't you? And she was like, yep. <laughs> and it was sort of sad because it's like, you know, I don't think this is my idea. I think actually Adam Carolla said this first, but it's like, I feel like I could be put on the space station and orbiting Earth and like for five minutes, I'd be looking at the Earth in tears with this sort of raised consciousness and and, and being like, oh, it, uh, borders are imaginary and oh, if only we could find world peace, you know, find our way to world peace, uh, you know, this sort of spiritual experience. And then after five minutes, I'd be bored. You know, I'd be looking at Instagram again. Um, I don't think I'm the only one that would suffer from that phenomenon. But um, all I'm trying to say is people acclimate. And uh, so, yeah, I think when you begin to start seriously considering doing something else, you know, if you've been pursuing a creative career, you know, it's not like I'm giving up music or creativity, obviously, but if you give it up as a career, you have to sort of um, call your own bluff and say, you know, as these accomplishments, quote, accomplishments start to accumulate, and actually, maybe I shouldn't put it in quotes. They are accomplishments. I mean, I, re- I, I think a lot of why they haven't made me happy is really, it's kind of my own fucking issue. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, they, they could have made me happy if I let them, or if I was wired, you know, maybe I shouldn't even blame myself for that. But if I was wired a certain way, if I didn't have the experience in my life, the experiences in my life that I've had that made me that, gave, that sort of formed my constitution, if that makes sense, those experiences might have made me happy. I might have been wired in such a way that those would have been fulfilling. Um, but they weren't. And I think it's reasonable to assume that I could certainly continue down this path. But if the reason I'm doing it is because I think something some heretofore unseen accomplishment or, or um, you know, brass ring that I'm reaching for, that's going to make me happy? It's probably not. You know, I think it's reasonable to assume that it's going to feel exactly like it feels today. I mean, I even think about this in terms of writing. You know, when I had written a song for a couple of years, when I was like 19 or, I was actually, I was probably 20, 21, honestly. And I finally, like, had that, moment where I sat down and started running again, I, you know, looking back on it now, it was, it was super hard. You know, I was at the fringe of my ability. I literally had to force myself to sit there for hours and it was excruciating and it was rarely productive, but I had to do it. I wish 
my future self could have tapped myself on the shoulder and said, hey, acclimate to this feeling because it's always going to feel that way. You know, there's, I mean, it's like running, right? I mean, at first running a mile is hard. Then you run two miles. But if you're always at the fringe of your ability, it feels the fucking same. So running 10 miles eventually feels like running one mile. It's hard. You know, in the minute it's not hard, you're not growing. Anyway, I feel like a mode of fucking Tony. Am I Tony Robbins, dude? Is this fucking Tony Robbins podcast, dude? Um, uh, brain fart. What am I talking about? Um, yes, I think I'm just saying life can be that way. You acclimate and the things that you think are going to make you happy sometimes don't. And, um, I talk about this with my friend, Matt Evans, our fucking MVP of 2019, Matt Evans, dude, how are you? Shout out to your boy, Matt Evans. He and I talk about this all the time. And actually it's a great segue. Cause I was talking about uh, those things could have made me happy. I look at my life now and I think if I'm not going to be a rock star and don't fucking laugh at me, God damn it. But I do think this, <laughs> if I'm not going to be a rock star, if I'm just going to be another story, in an unobserved, uh, you know, an unobserved life, maybe shortly summarized in the historical society record of some no-name district in some suburb of Portland. If that's essentially what my life is going to amount to, can I let it? be enough. If I'm just going to be another cracker ass dude living in the United States with a wife and two kids and a job. And at the end of my life, you know, I don't have some great artistic work to leave behind me. Can I let it make me happy? Can I let it be enough? And that's, I'm embarrassed to say it, but it's kind of a hard thing to, to, it's kind of a hard thing to accept. You know, and I don't know how I got it in my head. You know, I didn't have like show parents growing up. You know, I never had parents tell me that I wasn't good enough. You know, it's not like I I go through life thinking, you know, I'm going to show these people and I was bullied and, ah, you know, you know, it's, it's nothing like that, you know? Um, but I do have this, I've had this, abiding conviction that my purpose in life is to create something that I'm going to leave behind me. And, um, I think even as I was pursuing a creative career, I think, and I would talk about this in therapy, I was tortured by the fact that I felt this conviction. And yet I secretly suspect that every single, every one of my peers that I knew was not going to be successful and can articulate why I thought they were going to, were, were not going to be successful. And that I was, I was actually happy to observe their shortcomings because I, it made me feel like, oh, I don't have that. That you know, Oh, I recognize that shortcoming in that person. Thankfully, I don't have that. You know, that's not going to hinder me. Um, um, to now just, not only to have been in the same boat as them the whole time, but to still be in the same boat as all of them. It makes me think, what the fuck's wrong with me? Like, oh, I guess everybody has this abiding conviction that they're the fucking one who's going to be successful, that there's something special about them. And the fact that that has come true makes me feel stupid. Like I should have known the whole time. Now you never know unless you try. And 
it's it's easy to dismiss what I'm about to say as sour grapes or something or rationalizing from a guy who didn't quote make it. But I brush shoulders with some successful people and I've seen the trajectory of some people who are formerly your peers who start to do pretty well. And I'm not to take anything away from those people, but you very quickly understand that it's not a meritocracy. And I'm not saying it's all luck. You know, there are certainly necessary conditions or necessary conditions for success. The popo are after me. If you can hear the police sirens in the background, there are necessary conditions for success. You have to be talented. You have to be hardworking. But there's so many things that you have no control over. They, 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 these are necessary but insufficient conditions for success. You can tick all the boxes, and dude, it really can, not always, but it can come down to luck. You know, it can come down to being in the right place at the right time or knowing the right people or seizing the right opportunity. And so much of it you have no fucking control over. And I mean, it just is the case. There's so many people vying for these positions. They got to go to somebody and they don't always go into the hands of the most deserving people. Now, of course, that's going to sound like sour grapes, but I think, uh, you know, even an objective person would probably say that's that's probably a fair statement. You know, if you just took it out of my mouth and placed it in the mouth of, mouth of somebody else, it would probably sound pretty sound, probably sound pretty fair. <clears throat> dude, I hope everyone's okay. I hear these sirens. I hope nothing serious is happening. Um, dude, I fuck. I don't know. Talk about stream of consciousness, but I remember when I was a kid, our house burned down. <laughs> um, I I don't honestly I don't know how old I was, but my I think I was like. I was a baby. Well, here's the thing. Here's what I remember. I, my memory is I remember waking up one morning and being in my crib and I remember hearing sirens and I remember hearing them for a long time, you know, more than just driving by. It was like, I almost heard them at a distance and I heard them for long. I remember thinking, oh, I'm hearing these sirens for longer than I should. And it maybe felt like 20 minutes or so. Um, It's how I remember it. And then my, my, parents coming into the room and picking me up and and I don't remember leaving the house but I do remember being held outside of the house looking back on it and not seeing any flames but seeing firefighters <clears throat> and that to me is a very real and vivid memory but um my parents insist there's no way I could remember that that I was way too young um but that's what I think about and sometimes when I hear sirens in the distance I, I still have that sense of like oh are they coming to me is there some catastrophe happening right now that I'm just not aware of that, uh, you know, is my house on, you know, is, uh, you know, I live in the back, I live in a cabin essentially in someone's backyard. I'm like, oh, is the front house on fire? And I just don't fucking know it. Um, anyway, um, yeah, I don't know if that story was me hitting the ejector seat on a, on a vulnerable conversation, but, um, but, um, Yeah, I don't know what to say to summarize, but I think, you know, as I'm in this transition period, um, you know, and it doesn't look like I'm going to be a goddamn rock star, it is hard to think, oh, I'm just going to be like everybody else. You know, and it makes me think, why talk into a goddamn microphone? Like, who, who gives a shit what I'm talking about? My life is just like yours. You know, and is it lame of me to take myself so seriously that I think, oh, my thoughts 
I should speak those into a microphone because that might mean something to somebody when really is it just like, hey, bro, I think the same goddamn thing. But I don't know, man, maybe that's maybe that's really what it's all about. You know, maybe when the hokey pokey says that's what it's all about, maybe that's what it's all about, dude. We're all just fucking doing the hokey pokey dance. Dude, hokey pokey philosophy, dude. Is that what it's all about, dude? I mean, I, 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 dude, first of all, I have all these, I, as I've listened back to the podcast, I realize I have all these fucking stock phrases that I say all the time. But I know I keep hearing myself say, you know, I, I talked about it on another episode or whatever, but, um, <clears throat> I think Jerry Seinfeld in his documentary Comedian uh, says, you know, comedy is reminding people about things they already knew were funny and forgot. You know, the, when you, something's funny because you go, oh shit, that's true. You know, it's not because somebody gives you some new fact or information. It's, you know, somebody shows you your own, like, I almost certainly talked about this, but like when I was a kid and I did theater, I remember being in my theater class with my director and uh, I was probably like 12, 13, something like that. And he posed this question to the class. He said, why do people go to the theater? And I was like, to, you know, to be entertained. And, uh, and he paused and he said, no, people go to the theater to see themselves. And I literally had no fucking idea what he was talking about. Um, and uh, believe it or not, it actually took me a long time to, to kind of even begin to understand that. I mean, now it seems so intuitive, right? But um, yeah, people you know, people don't think about it when they're putting on their suit and tie and go to the theater. Not that anybody fucking dresses that way anymore, but you know you used to have to do that to go to the theater. You had to fucking practically wear a tuxedo. Like I read these Dostoevsky novels and everyone's wearing like fucking like 10 layers of clothing just to fucking have tea with each other. What a production. I think, you know, you hear about these art, these ornate layers of clothing that women are wearing and you think, what do they have to poop? How do they go to the bathroom quickly? Um, people must have soiled their clothes a lot back in the day. But, um, <laughs> but uh, what was I talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah, seeing yourself on the stage at the theater. Yeah, people don't think about that when they're putting on their 10 layers of clothing. But yeah, people go to see themselves. And so I don't know why it sounds so disappointing to just be a normal person because, you know, that's maybe what people want. You know, I'm sort of confused by the whole fucking YouTube thing. Like, I know why I like some of the personalities I see or the video blogs I watch on YouTube. But when I, you know, someone will say, oh, this person's very popular with kids and you check them out and you're just like, dude, this kid is fucking stupid. Like, this is just a dumb kid who has no insight. Like, why do millions of people subscribe to their YouTube channel? You think, oh, yeah, it's just them. In a way, they kind of want to hold up one of their own. And maybe, well, who? Maybe because it makes them feel like they could do the same thing, right? You know, if you're just, if you're just holding up a supermodel, I think people kind of resent. I think now that everyone's struggling so much and everything's so dissected, I think, you know, people want to hold up images of themselves, right? Because it, maybe it makes success feel more accessible to them. Like, well, if this person can make it, I can make it. <clears throat> hell maybe that's why i pulled out a fucking microphone and started talking into it i think hey dude if people are just sharing their thoughts dude people could fucking certainly listen to what i'm what i'm saying <clears throat> but dude are you like me like if but here's my other thought to me it kind of hurts you know when i encounter somebody even somebody who's being successful who's doing kind of what i think is i'm capable of dude it hurts me it's kind of wounding like i think literally i think that should have been me 
you know? And so as much as I talk about like art is about people seeing themselves, et cetera, et cetera, like, dude, is it enough for you to just listen to what I'm saying? And especially if you think what I think. Like, who goes, oh man, I think the same thing. That's awesome. I enjoy this podcast. You know, for me, I think, oh dude, I think the same thing. Like, why the fuck don't I have a podcast? You know? Like, is it just entertaining for you? Like, if you, if you, if you hear yourself in my conversation, like maybe, dude, maybe, maybe you're nothing like me and you think, dude, this guy's fucking crazy. He's entertaining because who the fuck lives and thinks this way? <laughs> you know, that I can understand. Like, if you're like, this guy's a fucking asshole, dude, but how entertaining to hear his shitty thinking. You know? Like, that I can understand. But if you're just like, oh, that's me. Like, are you entertained? Dude, I feel like Gladiator. Are you entertained? Are you not entertained? I am Maximus. Father of a murdered son. Husband to a murdered wife. Are you not entertained? Anyway. Oh, man. What's Russell Crowe up to? Dude, did Ridley Scott direct Gladiator? Who directed that? Hey, can you guess what Ridley Scott's production company is called? It's called Scott Free. Get it? Dude, I wish I was a kind of celebrity or brand where I could just like make a pun on my own name, you know? <clears throat> my name is really Scott, so my production company is going to be called Scott Free Productions. Okay. So obvious, right? Um, my production company would be called M-Tertainment. <laughs> All right, dude, we're going off the goddamn rails here. Um, yeah, what to say, man? I don't know. Dude, it's funny. In a way, this episode's kind of been like therapy. I was just sort of talking around. Actually, to be honest, this was actually probably more, probably more insight. But, I, dude, I swear in, that, in my last therapy thing, I was just talking circuitously for like fucking 40 minutes, talking about God knows what. And it was only in the last 10 minutes that I came up with all the shit I've been talking about here for the last 40 Oh, man. That's what we do it for, folks. Fucking, sometimes you just gotta wade through the bullshit. Dude, it's weird, you know, I'm not, you know, I know people fucking think Freud's a fucking idiot these days, but, um, you know, in a way, it's sort of like Darwin. Like, I know evolutionary theory has moved well past Darwin or whatever, but in some ways, you know, the seeds of everything are right there, you know, and you can't really underestimate the insight. And, um, I think Freud was the same way. Um, if anything else, this idea that it's all connected, you know, you may not see how, but dude, it's all related somehow. And as long as you can just wade through the 40 minutes of bullshit and just sit with the not knowing and just talk through it, dude, you don't know what the fuck you're going to get to. You know what I'm saying? And it, and life becomes beautiful. Dude, when, like, um, it's an obvious point, I, but I'm trying to credit who I actually heard it, heard say it this way. I mean, dude, maybe it was like Keith Richards or something. Like, I think I saw this documentary about Keith Richards where he said this, but... Actually, I've added my own flavor to it. So this is a hybrid of the two thoughts. My, my, my contribution is, you know, life in the living experience. It's like feeling your way forward in the dark. You know, no one knows where the fuck they're going. And then what he said was, you know, it's only in hindsight that it feels like a finely, craft, a finely crafted novel. You know, the living experience is feeling your way forward in the dark. In hindsight, it looks like a finely crafted novel. And it makes life beautiful, man. Buongiorno, principessa. You remember me talking about that in another episode, Life is Beautiful, with Roberto Benini. 
and my English teacher fucking loving Roberto Benigni. And fucking Roberto Benigni just sang in that movie over and over again. Buongiorno principessa. Dude, I have that recorded somewhere. You know what I did? I created, um, you know how other podcasts have like a soundboard? You know, where they just have these fucking little audio stings that they fucking keep dropping in? I, I started making one of those, thinking I was going to use it on this podcast. Probably not going to do it. <clears throat> maybe when we, maybe, 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 maybe if I get the video podcast element, maybe I'll bring in the soundboard. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe just talking is the best part, right? Would it really be better if you just heard interstitial audio? If you just heard Roberto Benigni saying, Buongiorno Principessa. Like, would that be funny? <clears throat> Excuse me. Anyway. Dude, this has gone pretty well. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything to get to here in the last um, five or six minutes that we have here. Dude, thanks for listening. Maybe that's all that needs to be said. Um, yeah, dude. I mean, you know, I hope you hear this in the light of everything we've talked about in this hour, but... Yeah, it's weird to be talking into a microphone and thinking that people are going to hear this. You know, and it's vulnerable in a way because Yeah, it's just weird to think that the things I'm saying are being thought about and processed and analyzed and evaluated and judged by people like yourself. And uh and uh I agree with the review. You know, it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but I I in the same way I felt about my early music and hell, even my fucking current music. I dude, I know it's not for everybody. But uh, I do feel like there's got to be an audience for me, you know? And I think, you know, I tell myself it's like-minded people, but maybe it's not, dude. Yeah, maybe you think I am just a fucking, maybe you think I am an idiot and you're like listening to my ramblings and thinking, God, this guy lives this way? Whoo, I'm embarrassed for him. Dude, maybe I'm like the fucking keep you up, keeping up with the Kardashians of podcasts. Like maybe everyone who listens to this podcast just goes, this guy's a train wreck. Jeez, I feel lost as fuck in my life, but at least I'm not that guy. Maybe that's what people think. But um, I tell myself that you guys are like-minded. And uh, and uh, yeah, dude, you guys are smart. I know you are. I read some of your messages. I fucking read reviews like the one I read earlier. And I think, yeah, dude, you guys are smart as fuck. Um, anything else to say? Uh, I'm literally finishing this. As soon as I have to stop recording and, and end, I have to go to work. Um literally no time to even go to the bathroom. I'm going to have to hit stop, save, and then fucking bounce to the 40 ounce. Um, yeah, I don't know. School's about to start. Probably have one more, yeah, I can probably record one more podcast before school starts. In the meantime, <clears throat> dude, I'm just trying to enjoy my time. Sorry. <clears throat> dude, I'm like 90% better for being sick. You know I've been sick. You know I've been struggling. Um, I feel 90% better. I still sound a little bit hoarse, but that's, that's, that's probably a good thing. It means everything's kind of coming out of me, I guess. But, um, just been reading a lot of Dostoevsky. You know what I did, dude? I saw The Lighthouse recently. Dude, it's not a good movie. I mean, it's fine. It's not a bad movie necessarily, but dude, it's, it's bad in a very certain type of way. Like, I don't know if it's always fair to compare filmmakers, but I know we've also talked about Ari Aster's film films Ari Aster did Hereditary and Midsummer, and the reason I think they're comparable is because Lighthouse was done I forget his first name but the the filmmaker's name is Eggers and he also did The Witch which was also a movie that people lost their shit over that I watched and thought was a whole lot of nothing but because they're both I mean they both have two major films come out that were sort of suspenseful slash horror films 
and um, and they feel comparable to me because they're they're, they're both sort of self stylized serious filmmakers, and. You know, I don't think they're perfect films, but Hereditary and Midsummer to me are like serious a tourist films and are 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 really fucking good. Um you know, you I you know, I talk about getting hit with the spirit. You watch Hereditary and Midsummer, dude, you get hit with the fucking spirit. Um maybe the filmmaker is still finding their voice or whatever, not that I'm a fucking pro, but you know what I mean. They're not perfect films, but they're fucking good. And you're in, you know you're in the presence of art, and you look forward to seeing what they come up with next. People were fucking losing their minds over The Witch. And I saw it, and I went, this movie... There, dude, there's... I don't even... Dude, and, and I felt the same about The Witch and The Lighthouse. I don't think these movies understand themselves. Do you know what I mean? They're obscure in a way that feels tedious and fraudulent. Do you know what I mean? Like... It feels like a holdover from the time of David Lynch, you know, where, uh, look, David Lynch is a fucking great filmmaker. And do his movies make sense? No. And they're puzzles. And dude, David Lynch doesn't even know what the fuck he's doing. Like, he even talks about making Inland Empire, where he would just, like, show up with pages, and he had no fucking idea what the plot of the movie was. He would just show up and film shit. And the actors had no idea what was going on. So, maybe it doesn't make sense, but at least you feel like David Lynch is fucking hitting you with the spirit. He's doing what he's, do- what he's doing because he's inspired to do it. That's his real creative vision. But it created this trend for people where movies had to be puzzles. Like, in order to be a serious film, it had to be obscure. And people had to watch it multiple times to try to piece things together. And you know, it just fucking gets a bunch of fucking nerds with too much time on their hands on film message boards or Amazon reviews or what, or fucking Rotten Tomatoes just writing these tedious long blog posts about how the film, what the film means and all that sort of shit and the fuck. And you watch The Witch and you're just like, <clears throat> there's actually a great moment in the beginning, the first reveal of The Witch, where she's like, more, spoiler alert, <clears throat> where she's like mortar and pestling a baby and like rubbing the blood on her broom and then like sort of takes off and flies. You think, oh shit, this movie's going to be dope. And it, it's not, dude. It sucks. Nothing happens in the goddamn movie. And it's just, all, it's, all, it's all style, no substance. Um, and first of all, you should watch The Lighthouse for one reason. Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe is fucking incredible. He props that whole movie up. And sure, the movie's beautiful. Um, But other than Willem Dafoe's fucking incredible performance, that's about it. You know, I just... You know, both The Witch and The Lighthouse are these sort of, not genre experiments, but you can tell the filmmaker gets obsessed with a certain time, time period. And he's very good about making, you know, period correct dialogue and it's almost like you feel like the film is just a love affair with the, with the aesthetic, you know? <clears throat> and the problem with The Lighthouse is if it, was, if it just went all in on being a suspense-slash-thriller-slash-cat-and-mouse-mounting-tension sort of film, dude, it probably would have been fantastic. But for some reason, this person got all artsy-fartsy filmmaker on you and started injecting all these fucking weird shots and the supernatural and fucking insisting on shoehorning in this allegory about Prometheus and the lighthouse, <clears throat> you know, and the, the, the dynamic of Willem Dafoe's character and Robert Pattinson's character were like stealing fire from the gods and fucking, and the last shot is like this clear 
um, point to the Prometheus myth. You know, where he's fucking getting it. Anyway, I, I don't want to spoil it for you, but it's fucking not a good movie. Like, other than Willem Dafoe's character, you don't give a fuck what happens in this movie. And um, so I don't know, man. Watch it. Let me know what you think. Um, I can. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. We're at the end of our time here. I don't know what to say about it. Um, I feel myself getting upset about it. And, uh, but what the fuck do I know? Um, I'll try to think of something I seriously, you know what? Watch Watchmen. Watch that. That shit's good. I wanted to leave you with a good recommendation. Watch that. Um, but anyway, I literally have to stop recording and go to work right now. So, um, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, you can subscribe on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google play, Stitcher, anywhere you find incredible podcasts like this one you can subscribe and rate and review it take excuse me take five minutes to rate and review the podcast and uh share it with somebody in your life who you think would enjoy it if you want to connect with my socials you can at this is m xoxo and find the um podcast blog at this is m pod.com uh woo good episode folks thanks for tuning in uh we'll do it next week um thanks for your time Thanks for listening, and ciao for now. <laughs>